Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this extra special bonus episode. Now, we're into part three of the MCF Symposium with our friends at Worksmith, and it's so fantastic to talk to this one. I think I think this was one of my favorites, Jane, especially, because we've got Rachel Nile, Matt Jones, Charlie Liam, and then Cara Devine as well in this debate. Jane, what can we expect from this particular conversation today? Mm, the, the juicy, juicy debate. Yeah, so this one dove into the future of non-alcoholic spirits in particular. So not really talking about the future of non-alcoholic as a whole, but looking at those those products that are there to replicate spirits in a cocktail. And do we need them or can bartenders move beyond that and get creative without them? I think this one was phenomenal. I think the, the panel ended up basically on the same side in a funny way. Um, and you've definitely got a little bit of posturing there from the, uh, the defense. So uh, enjoy. Fantastic. Jane, Head of Marketing for Worksmith. Thanks so much and let's get into this debate. Okay. This is the final um, part of our day today and I think the one that is going to be juicy, interesting. We're going to throw some... um What's the word? Not sticks at each other. I don't know. Verbal assaults. Um, we're having a debate and the debate topic is, is there a future for non-alcoholic spirits? So I'd like to invite the adjudicator, um, Sam Bygrave up. Uh, Sam is um, an award-winning Australian drinks journalist, probably best in the biz, only because I retired. Um, <laughs> and uh, he runs Boothby. Yeah, so um, we've got Sam here who's going to keep these guys in line. Um, on the negative, we have Charlie Lehman and Cara Devine. If you guys want to also pop up. So Cara is uh, a Melbourne from Bomba. She also runs an amazing YouTube and she's got a book coming out. So everyone get ready for that. Uh, and Charlie is our Sydney cider from Rambling Rascal and Double Deuce. Okay, um, our affirmative team. Yes, sit down. Um, <laughs> um, we have Matt Jones from Four Pillars, um, who's going to come and talk to us all about, obviously, their gym, but um, the, the non-out that they're producing. And he's followed by Rachel Neal, who is uh, from Perth, and she's running a non-out um, booze shop and bar. So we've got a really great panel. Um, I'm going to leave them to it now. So play nice. And um, we'll all get to decide at the end what we think, uh, who was the winner. Okay, so this, this is on? Okay, great. Uh, well, thank you, everyone. Uh, we're going to get straight into this in just a moment. I think we're kicking off with today with the affirmative with Matt Jones for Four Pillars. So you want to take it away, Matt? You get, you, get, you get five minutes. I think you're up here. Wow, this is very formal. Very yeah, fast, well, yeah, no. Wow. So there's up here, and then you've got five minutes. I'll give you a 30-second kind of warning. We have studiously avoided having human contact with the opponents. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Matt from Four Pillars. I'm normally accused at Four Pillars of being the person who overthinks things. We're debating non-ALK in a booze convention. We've already overthought it a little bit. But look, um, is there a future for non-alcoholic spirits? I thought the starting point is actually a slightly different question. Is there a future for non-alcoholic drinks? And thinking about drinks, for me, and you know, I'm a father of two kids, and my relationship with alcohol is evolved over 10 years of Four Pillars. I probably drink better but drink less these days. I think it's really important when we think about drinks, we think about it in the context of bars, of socialising, of hospitality, of food and drink. And when we do that, I think in 2023 we have to agree that we need to decouple the automatic assumption that hospitality, that enjoying spending time with friends that eating and drinking has to involve alcohol. And I think we can give a lot of credit. I saw Andy Normal from Heaps Normal last week. Alcohol-free drinking has been normalized thanks to Heaps. But the question here is not about beer. 
it's about spirits and it's about cocktails. And when we think about what makes a great cocktail, it's flavor, but it's also story. It's ritual. It's the technique that goes into making a great drink, which everyone in this room knows more about than me. And when I think about story and ritual, there's no better drink than the Negroni. I remember my first Negroni. I had it in milk and honey in London. I thought it was disgusting. I was clearly a child. My, my wife was the grown-up. She was drinking blood and sands and Negronis, and I was on stuff that was far sweeter. But I still remember where I drank it. I still remember that sense of ritual and occasion at milk and honey and a bar that really changed my relationship with cocktails. And so... Even if I'm not drinking, I don't want a fucking mocktail. I do not want brightly colored lolly water. I do not want to know necessarily how plant-based it is. I want a Negroni. And even if I'm not drinking alcohol, I want a Negroni. And that's really the rationale. I'm not here to sell you why Four Pillars made bandwagon, but the fundamental thinking behind it was, can we do something to replicate the flavor and the role of gin in something that might look like a Negroni and give me some of that satisfaction of flavor, story, and ritual of stirring my Negroni or having a Negroni made for me. And when we think about that, it's juniper dominance, it's botanical and citrus flavors, it's palate weight, it's some of that sweetness and heat that we get from alcohol. So that's what we've worked hard to try and get into that spirit. So that's bandwagon. But that doesn't answer the question. I think that starts to answer the question, is there a future for non-alcoholic drinking? I'm pretty sure we'd all agree that there is. But the question on the table, is there a future for non-alcoholic spirits? And I think the answer is maybe. And maybe it depends on who's making the drink. Maybe that we've done certain things with bandwagon. I think there's some other great examples where we've done a lot of the flavor hard work for you. Not everyone is going to be able to figure out how to replicate what the gin made what the gin did to the Negroni, but perhaps we can do some of that. I think also having a, a great spirit gives you some story to your drink. I think story is important. I think it gives you some ritual, that feeling of the heft of a bottle in your hand at home when you go, I don't want to drink tonight, but I want to make myself a drink. I want to make myself a not gin and tonic. I want to make something. I want to feel that I measured out something. But I think what we need to acknowledge is perhaps the world's best bartenders can do without a great non-alcoholic spirit. <laughs> Perhaps it's possible that they can construct flavor in their own special, unique, and talented ways. But I think if we're going to normalize the act of enjoying a great drink at home without resorting to alcohol every time, then I think, yes, there is a future for non-alcoholic spirits. Cool. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. Some very smart and insightful things from Matt. Cara, I believe, is kicking things off for the negative. Please have at it. I'm going to give you a little chime for 30 seconds to go from your five minutes. Okay. I think you might have to talk from here. Okay. Oh, you're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And I really do welcome this chance to have a critical look at an ever-growing sector of our industry uh, whose growth you know, has definitely been outlined uh, or is definitely going to be outlined by uh, my colleague, Mr. Lehman, here. At the end of the day, I thought he was going first. Anyway, <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone in this room um, you know, has any, would criticize at all any kind of move towards mindful drinking, whether that means reducing your intake or cutting it out entirely. Um, but whether or not non-alcoholic substitutes um, for the real thing should be considered the main way for going about it definitely needs scrutinized. 
One of the main arguments for non-alcoholic spirits, as outlined by my colleague over here, um, is that they're kind of inclusive. Uh, but this actually doesn't always ring true for everybody, especially those actually struggling with things like substance abuse. Um, according to the Alcohol and Drug Foundation, exposure to drinking cues and drinking settings has been found to be a strong predictor of relapse amongst abstaining drinkers. Most products have a near identical taste, smell and appearance to alcohol, so they can be potential triggers. So there has to be some middle ground between a soft drink and then something which is entirely mimicking a substance which they're actively trying to avoid. There's also um, some concerns about these products being a gateway for drinking to children. Um, there's currently no legislation in place which restricts the sale of non-alcoholic products uh, which mimic alcohol to minors. So obviously they're in places like supermarkets and things like that. Uh, while I have no doubt that everyone in this room, whether producers deciding on marketing strategies or those of us serving the liquid, would obviously uphold an ethical standard, can we be sure of the same from everyone in the industry when it is proving to be such a lucrative sector? Now, I absolutely understand the need for grown-up non-alcoholic alternatives because ordering a Shirley Temple would probably get you a few Snickers from your friends. But bartending has moved on so far from the days of chucking just some orange juice and some grenadine in a glass as a mocktail. In fact, I would argue that constructing a well-balanced and sophisticated non-alcoholic drink without leaning on spirits replacements should be a source of pride for bartenders. At forward-thinking bars um, like Par, Birdie, uh, Bouvardia here in Mer Melbourne, um, the non-alcoholic drinks actually read and taste just as good, if not better, than the alcoholic offerings, and they tend to rely more on things like teas, shrubs, artisanal sodas, and just clever techniques. Um, Nick Tazar and Sean Burns All Day Cocktails is a really good resource for anyone that's actually looking to level up their alcoholic list or non-alcoholic list. Uh, and this way, we can ensure that these drinks remain seasonal, sustainable, and also help reduce waste in your bar, because you can cross-utilize ingredients across both alcoholic and non-alcoholic cocktails. Relying on ingenuity and technique over imitations is also beneficial to the bottom line, which obviously is uh, you know, something that we do have to take into consideration as much as we love to have these lofty ambitions. While I fully accept that non-alcoholic products incur a lot of the same costs as their alcoholic uh, counterparts, obviously by the tax, but things like raw material, production, packaging, transport and definitely marketing, the fact remains that the average consumer does not think that a non-alcoholic drink should taste the same as an alcoholic one. Whether or not this perception is going to shift in time remains to be seen. Perhaps cost cutting can happen on the production end of things with advances in technology. Uh, but for now, I do feel that it means either risking guests feeling ripped off or taking a hit on your cogs. The non-alcoholic movement is clearly not going anywhere, which is a good thing, um, but we should be making sure that it develops in an ethical, thoughtful and sustainable way with, which benefits consumers, venues and retailers alike, and that we do not allow it to become dominated by overpriced and well-marketed imitators. Thank you. <laughs> um, guys, so just really quickly, I just got to interrupt because we forgot to do something in the beginning, which now could be interesting because you've heard two opening statements. We were going to ask everyone to scan this and check uh, and to tell us what they think before the debate. Uh, I appreciate you might be a little biased now, depending on whether you prefer Matt or Cara's argument. Um, but we're still going to go through the exercise. So if everyone mind to scan this on their phone, if you can, and then just let us know what your preconception or mid-conception now is. Um, I think I'm voting for Cara. Oh, really? <laughs> and then at the end, we'll then ask again. Sorry, guys. And, and, before, we, and before we get to that... 
And before we get to that, after we have the opening statements, there's time for questions. I'm going to ask them some questions, but I'd love to hear from the room as well. Get engaged. So when they're talking, think about things that they, you know, you want to hit them up about. Why are they saying these things? That would be amazing to have. Okay. Has everyone scanned the thing? Put their put their, their thoughts into the digital realm. Next up, we have from tomorrow on tap over in WA, Rachel Neal. Hello. So non-alcoholic drinks are about freedom of choice and they're about freedom to play. And that's why non-alcoholic spirits are here to stay. All of you in the modern world, we're all about convenience and we're about choice. When we're talking about food and drinks, you might like classic Coca-Cola. The person sitting next to you might prefer sugar-free Coke. You can have vegan cheese. You can have traditional cheese. I really like traditional pork bacon. You might like fake and bacon. You might choose, choose traditional wine or you might prefer natural wine, whatever that really means these days. My friend Matt here, yesterday might have had a 0% gin, but he can also have a 42% gin, all from the Four Pillars brand. And he can do that because he has choice. We all demand freedom of choice. Most people at my bottle shop, so about 70% of people at my bottle shop, they love booze. They are like the most of us. They're just looking for some alternatives. They're not anti-alcohol. They love alcohol. And they love those pleasure boxes to be ticked. So ritual, flavour and story, as Matt was talking about. I enjoy having non-alcoholic beverages. I think it's just about, again, it's about options. I want to be able to go out and drink a delicious adult beverage, not a fucking mocktail, that is delicious, but will leave me with clarity and awareness. I like to have that choice. I also like the choice of going out for a quiet drink and coming home eight hours later and waking up the next morning with a thumping headache, wondering, have I lost my mobile phone? Did I leave it in Uber again? Because I like the choice, I like the option. And that's what non-alcoholic spirits are about. The other thing that's great, my, my point number two, is the freedom, of, freedom to play with non-alcoholic spirits. There's a, well, who is it? So Will was talking about the excise and the tax and how outrageous it is. Non-alcoholic drinks, not such an issue, is it? So there's more freedom to play, there's less restriction. When it comes to labeling, you can have, wait, I'm gonna go backwards a little bit. Um, let's just, uh, let's pretend that I can give you a Negroni that gives you superpowers. I'm pretty sure, Sam, or some of you, have drunk enough Negronis to believe that you have superpowers. <laughs> but what a, <laughs> it's just a hunch. But this is happening right now. You can have a Negroni, you can have a non-alcoholic drink that enhances your cognitive abilities instead of impairing them. It is happening now. As a sommelier, I'm used to dealing with Shiraz and Chenin Blanc and Pinot Noir. Now I'm dealing in Shazandra, Ashwagunda, Chamomile, Poppy Extract. Not the one in Melbourne bars. You can play, you have the freedom to play. You can choose your own adventure and you can build a drink for your customer that enhances their mood. 
and it's not only about the flavour. That enhances their mood and enhances their cognitive abilities but leaves them, uh, leaves them feeling fresh the next day. Also, when it comes to marketing, there's no way that you could have a navy strength gin and market it as having as being performance, uh, performance enhancing. However, if you're talking about a non-alcoholic drink where you're using nootropics and adaptogens, it's a whole new story. You can market that as a functional drink. We're right on the cusp of this and it is happening and you can be a part of it. Non-alcoholic spirits, they offer freedom of choice and freedom to play. That was very well done, very well done. Uh, for the negative again, Mr. Charlie Lehman from Ramon Law School, please take it away. Obviously I've dressed to win. <laughs> Been to a few court cases in my lifetime. <laughs> Good morning, Melbourne. Thanks for having me. I'm from Sydney, obviously. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the question has been posed. Is there a future in the non-alcoholic sector? And I say to this, there is a future, but at what cost? It's hard to argue in a consumer capitalist society that uh, non the non-alcoholic sector doesn't have a future. The laws of supply and demand will dictate what products come and go and currently, the non-alcoholic sector is set to grow 3.9% between 2023 and 2027. This will generate $21 billion in the sector alone. But at what cost? The greatest threat to human civilization today is climate change. One of the, if not the biggest drivers, is the burning of fossil fuels. The creation of a luxury product which makes up the non-alcoholic sector is set to compound the issue by unnecessarily introducing yet more products to a glutted supply chain. The added introduction, <clears throat> sorry, the added introduction to the non-alcoholic sector eight years ago added a volume of 4.71 billion litres to the drinks industry. With the average volume per person in Australia in the non-alcoholic drink sector market making up 178.60 litres per person by the end of 2023. Uh, from the facilitation of ingredients as far away as uh, Macedonia, Sri Lanka, to the distillation, brewing, fermentation, bottling, corking, corking packaging, the creation production and delivery of the packaging and then the distribution into market. Sorry, this is on my phone, it's really small. <laughs> All these aspects contribute to the ever-growing and very real threat of climate change. At each step of this process, we are adding to an already large carbon footprint and an already ecologically stressed planet. Carbon emissions from supply chains around the world generate 60% of carbon emissions to fossil fuels, uh, to, to climate change. I ask again, at what cost? What are we willing to pay in order to have a non-alcoholic beer or beverage? A luxury that is, as some would say, is overpriced, comparable to the pricing of actual alcoholic beverages. Surely there's a cheaper and smarter alternative. National and multinational companies have set out to legitimise and profit from the non-alcoholic sector by employing language that is set to infantilise the consumer. Marketing is devised that overstates the needs and wants of the consumer for alternatives. 
that are nicely packaged and well produced. We are duped into buying a luxury product that is set out, oh no, sorry. We're duped into buying a luxury product that has overemphasized its position within our industry. Whether it be a product that is best described as distilled flavored water or brewed beers with no booze, kombucha or seltzer, if you will. The purposeful language of these companies used to employ, uh, are used to employ such as like non-alcoholic spirit, distillation of botanicals, brewed beer, adult drinking option, mindful drinking of sophisticated people. These are all used to reinforce the idea that a non-alcoholic product is comparable to alcoholic products, justifying the comparative prices between the two. If we take a look at four major brands on the market, brand number one, $50 per 700 milliliters. Compare that to a bottle of gin on the market of the same production price, $78. Brand number two, 84 for two, two 700 mil. Brand number three, $64.95 per case versus $56 per case of an alcoholic beer. Brand number four, $49.95 per 700 mils versus $48 for a comparable bottle of vodka. Ratcheting up profits feeds the company bottom line and in a consumer capitalist society. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this in turn drives the market to develop yet more products, adding to the ever-growing environmental cost. All this for the privilege of savouring very well thought out Mocktail's mixed exceptional products, which are priced to the point of lunacy and with the wool cleverly pulled over your eyes. Thank you very much. A round of applause for our guys here, our folks here. Well, that was interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think if I've, I've got a question, I'm going to ask you guys for some questions in a second, but I think the first one, I think uh, both sides have raised this around the non-alcoholic stuff, is the story, right? Oh, let's, let's do that. Is... A question for you guys. Sometimes with the story and the marketing of it, is that the point with these things? Because sometimes the liquid doesn't stand up to what it should do on the lips? I mean, that's a very big question to ask about marketing. I mean, everyone's got a different philosophy. Uh, one of the things that attracted me to getting involved in Four Pillars was that I've always believed that gin is a fundamentally differentiated spirit. There is so much potential, and Charlie's right. Like, you know, the majority of juniper that we use at Four Pillars comes from Macedonia and I Kosovo. Say your name. Because, no, but it's true. <laughs> and do you know why? Because the world's best juniper comes from there, and we would be wasting our time and everyone's time if we weren't making the best gin that we can. Where the best gin in the world can be made with great botanicals from here, that's the first thing we'll choose. Um, I was attracted to, to Four Pillars in the gym because even though we could make a differentiated gin, and I take no credit, Cameron McKenzie is one of the world's best. He is the current reigning master distiller of the year. Um, he's an extraordinary gin maker. But even after that, marketing has a job to do. We've got to make sure as marketers, as storytellers, as, as bartenders, we've got to make sure that the quality of spirits gets the credit it deserves. If we don't, then the big guys win. The big guys with generic products and deep marketing budgets and pockets so yes marketing has a role to play just because marketing is good doesn't make the product generic sometimes the marketing is simply trying to do justice to the craft but i do agree with the basic premise of the point yeah. there is plenty of undifferentiated flavorless liquid out there that is all marketing surface and nothing beneath the depth yeah, um, i'm interested um does anyone have a question at the moment come on no okay um i'm interested what's what was the thinking when you guys were coming up with 
the bandwagon because like was there a danger that was going to uh, make the the flagship brand look bad uh, probably 50% of four pillars employees thought it did that um I think the first thing you've got to do in, in uh, look, and this is about any innovation, who you're making it for. And we only made bandwagon because we were convinced of two things. One, Four Pillars customers wanted an alcohol-free option. We did not make it to go after other people. It didn't come from a place of greed about going, oh, look, there's the people not drinking gin. Let's go after the not gin drinkers. Instead, we said, well, look, are people like us, myself included, sometimes looking for an alcohol-free gin-like option? The second question then had to be, can we make a superior product to what's out there? So for us, the two yeses were, yes, it's for our existing customers, and yes, we think we can do better. Had either of those been no there was no chance we'd have gone into that category and just on the name is that was that was it bandwagon because you guys were jumping on the bandwagon or the punters are jumping on the bandwagon uh, a little bit a little bit of everything it was it was it was a deliberate tongue-in-cheek for conversations like this to say we recognize it's a bandwagon right like and you know and there's a little slogan on the on the cap of the bottle that you know now you can get on it even when you're not drinking it was that notion of this is a bandwagon that should be available to all of us and there are you know days weeks months maybe even years when you go i just want to jump on the non-out bandwagon i want to be able to get off again at some stage um but yeah it was it was a playful nod to the fact that this is a part-time not the main gig for four pillars but you know, we reckon we can do okay with it. Uh, for the, the negative, there's more and more research comes out every every month about the dangers of alcohol. Um, as someone who's, you know, has their uh, job in, the, in, the, in this world, it kind of concerns me a little bit. But, I mean, that would... Are we, we might be at a point where it's coming to be in the way that tobacco was, right? You're going to have to have more and more warnings, and then there's going to be more and more evidence saying this is not good for you, even a little bit. Should you guys not be embracing these non-alc spirits and taking it further? Uh, yeah. Is this on? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think that's kind of the, the point that I spoke to in the opening statement, which is uh, that there should be non-alcoholic alternatives. This team is not denying that in the slightest. It's whether or not using a replica or like a dupe for the real thing is the way to go about it. We as bartenders, you know, should be masters of our craft. We're flavor people. We're, you know, trying to pull together uh, you know your tannins and the texture and all of that um, and it almost feels like just a bit lazy to be relying on non-alcoholic spirits as your only uh, sort of alternative rather than it being more about you know really thinking about what we drink and why and making sure the drink is is very appropriate to the time and place and venue or that kind of thing so it's, it's definitely yet yeah, I don't as negative as we are we're not saying that there is not a, a space for non-alcoholics I mean yeah I'm, I'm all uh, like all for that it's just would, would you be happy if it was like you know uh, say botanical tonic water rather than a spirit that's, that pretends to be gin is what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's almost it's it's almost trying to push away from the laziness of relying on categories that already exist and trying to encourage innovation and actually a different way of looking at the entire category. Just to follow on with what Kara said, the um, these categories, the idea of a spirit is originally to raise spirits up. Now, does a water mixed with juniper do that? No. So they they they're taking uh, these words and utilising them to direct market, to sort of infantilise you as, as a consumer into like, no, you need this because, you know, if you don't, you're not sophisticated. Question. Could I say on an interesting point on that topic, what if 
if we use like you know in in Europe they introduce kids to drinking red wine at a younger age so, you know get them used to it have you met an Australian I completely agree with you not with the execution um, the education I don't know if the solution is to get young people no, drinking yeah. booze yeah no, I, I do, don't know that I do we believe want to go there in a very misguided way what, it, we do need to educate young people and, and how to to approach drinking um, and to take responsibility for their actions. The biggest thing in Australia, no one takes responsibility for their actions. Well, perhaps these non-alc things can be that <laughs> gateway yeah, for I, I, want of a better the, word. The issue that I see is that the labelling of it is like an alternative and they're using spirit where it's not a spirit. Rachel? There is no spirit. Yeah, I've, I've thought about this topic so much, um, especially, yeah, given that I'm selling... 100% non-alcoholic products. I've kind of thought about that whole gateway um, kind of feeling. Um, and I was even thinking, like, okay, with my messaging, with my website and whatnot, do I put a disclaimer on there um, about it being for my products are for people who are 18 plus? Um, and I do stick to that uh, because, yes, we are trying to replicate alcohol with non-alcoholic. I don't think anyone's denying that. Um, but it is an adult drink. and it's So, so you'll be- ask for ID at the shop? If people want to come in and, and buy your stuff? Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's have you had have you had to do that? Not yet. Okay. No, not yet. But the other thing is also, um, yeah, probably, I go probably not what the underage kids are looking for, to be honest. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, but also, yeah, I guess uh, with you know, Cara was kind of mentioning people who might have um, substance abuse issues and whatnot. And that's something I thought about as well. Well, if someone comes into my store, um, you know, like what but what that's not my responsibility it's not like it's I do I'm aware of it and if I feel like someone you know is opening up to me and there is some sort of issue maybe I'll sort of refer them to you know someone but it's same as cigarettes like anyone can just go and buy a pack of cigarettes whether it's their first cigarette or whether they're just you know whether they smoke 20 a day or whether they've just given up they still have that choice and it's yeah I don't I don't I'm going to stop there. <laughs> okay. But, uh, uh, do but we, we don't get the candy cigarettes anymore, you know? Well, yeah. Which was the, the ultimate gateway. Well, they were in the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we have things. I do remember those. Do we have a question? Yeah, Jay? I have a question for myself. Uh, for you guys, sorry, but from me as MC. Um, I would love to ask this to Matt because I think there's a difference between, like, non-alcs that are made in a way that still uses distillation, right? And non-alcs that are made, like, cordial water. And I was just wondering... Yeah, if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that's a really big difference to what we experience. Look, I can do my best. I, I wish Cameron was here a little bit like Will earlier. Um, the, the, I can't speak for other non-alks. I know that Four Pillars made two non-alks. Effectively, it's the same gin twice or the same non-alcoholic spirit that's not a spirit twice. One is modelled on the rare dry and it uses the identical botanicals. Instead of distillation, they're individually steamed. And then we're trying to substitute for other things. So we use some naturally occurring fructose to try and substitute for palate weight. We use Sichuan pepper to try and substitute for some of the alcohol heat. So effectively, we are trying to do our best to replicate the sensation as well as the flavour of rare dry 
I love the bloody bandwagon product. So the product you're drinking there is a is a is a rare dry bandwagon and tonic. I love the bloody because we've actually been able to use the same Shiraz juice, unfermented no alcohol that goes into my Shiraz gin. Effectively, it's a it is a quite a straight alcohol free sort of version of my Shiraz. So yes, they're crafted products, they're botanical products. Um, I can't speak for how others are made, but I totally respect a lot of what what the guys are saying about the extent to which some of them could be a marketing facade over a product that doesn't have necessarily much integrity or maybe doesn't have much cost involved, much craft involved. Um, The one thing I did want to add, though, there is that it's always really important to interrogate purpose, you know, not not in too much of a higher purpose why are we all here, but, but that sense of what is a spirit, what is an ingredient for? And it exists to go into a drink. And what does that serve? Well, if you're at home, it serves a social occasion, hopefully a one where you're in control. If you're in a bar, it actually serves a hospitality experience. And I do think we need to help people choose hospitality experiences that put money in the tills of great venues. And if that means anchoring to luxury queues and luxury brands and drinks that people understand, we're going to move people towards a more adult relationship where they spend more and then we can run more profitable venues. Whereas if every single person who's driving and not drinking is simply saying, I'm fine, I'll just have Melbourne's finest tap water, then we're leaving money on the table. If when someone who's not drinking just drinks sparkling water through dinner rather than getting a bottle of non-alcoholic wine, we're leaving money on the table. So I do think there is a role for crafted products, not just for the producers, but actually for the viability of the hospital industry as well. I think we've got a question up the back here. Thanks, guys. Uh, this is a question for the negative Kara uh, specifically uh, around talking about uh, but it's bartenders that need to fill the gap here and produce great non-alcoholic drinks in the bar rather than using an alternative given that we're in a, uh, a space at the moment where there's huge skill, skills shortages in bars and restaurants hospitality in general uh, and there's over 30,000 licensed venues in Australia um, and only a very small portion of those have skilled bartenders uh, to produce great non-alc non-alc drinks, what are the rest of us meant to do in those venues to get money in the till, as Matt say? Buy the homegrown spritzes. Hey, <laughs> correct answer. That's a softball. <laughs> Shut the doors. Okay, next question. Is that a Dorothy Dixer? Do, <laughs> do you have some more on that? Uh, I mean, I think you know that that's completely fair, and and you know the, it is uh, often something that I've. Uh, felt at these symposiums which are so awesome and but you know we we do need to recognize that we do deal at the tippity top of sort of uh of hospitality and, and education and that kind of thing um and i think yeah just actually trying to do as as much as we can to um bring you know a lot a lot of those online sort of classes and things that happened during lockdown i would love if a lot of brands kept those those going and concentrated more on you know how to actually build cocktails and flavor and things like that rather than necessarily being sort of brand led um i guess more like agnostic teaching uh to try and 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 yeah to make it so that people that are maybe not in urban centers and things still have access to that kind of level of training um but also like the best lime and lemon lime bitters that you'll ever get is in a country pub and that that's not the best mocktail that's ever existed i don't know (laughs) australia australia invented the lemon lime bitters and if you can't make that you should find another job uh i think we have another question in the middle hey yeah um i feel like i sit between the two arguments here but definitely agree with the the uh, disagree if that, <laughs> uh, to some extent but just returning to that conversation about categories 
because um, I make a non-alcoholic drink that doesn't really fit into a category. I'm sort of curious about that being one of the biggest challenges. If it's not an identifiable replica, how, you know, how do we reach people? And specifically in a bar setting, what role does the industry play in sort of um, being open to the uncategorizable drink? I think this is a problem with the companies. They're the ones that introduce the categorization. Mocktails have always existed. Uh, you, the bartender, should be profiting off this. You should be going to your bar managers and saying, hey, I've got a mocktail list. You don't have to necessarily use non-alcoholic beverages. You use the, the waste in your bar. And that's you making the money for the bar, you getting a promotion. Instead of, like, going... Sorry, was it, what, was it something... Well, uh, no, I'm, I actually... Uh, I'm not a bartender. I produce a non-alcoholic drink, oh, you so do. maybe it is my fault. No, no, no. That's not. I'm if you don't, you. No, no, not categorizing is perfect. You but, coming out honestly. But that's what I'm hearing from ah. a lot of bartenders: is what is it? I need to know: is it a, is it a mocktail? Is it a beer? Is it a wine? Is it a kombucha? I'm like, well, it's none of those. So. Mm. What that's do I, you Rachel, you got, you got some perfect. Yeah, sure. I think yeah, I think that that's ideal, and I think like I, education um, does need to be done, but uh, I think. Yeah, we're now at the start of it, and if you've got, if you're in the right place, which you will will be, because you've got a great product, Tina. Um, but also, I think people are understanding, like once you've got that platform, um, and you've got a great non-alcoholics list, whether it's a retail store or whether it's in a in a wine bar uh, or whatnot, then I think the moment that people are in that, they realise, okay, that you don't have to have an alcohol replica. It doesn't have to be an alcoholic substitute. I think once people start to see that, then it kind of opens up their, their mind and they realise, again, like I was touching on before, like nootropics and adaptogens. Um, but also, yeah, like using like the sustainability and whatnot, using, using offcuts from your kitchen, all these different things. And I think people really, you know, having their mind open um, as to what a beverage is or what a non-alcoholic beverage is. And it's, yeah, it's coming and it's just, it'll take education, but it's, it's, it's there. And I think, um, like, I've seen a few uh, menus recently that just have, like, non-alcoholic, so it doesn't say non-alcoholic cocktails or, you know, it's just non-alcoholic, and then we'll have, and actually some of them have had your, I've had Tina on there, you know, so you're almost like, like, I think uh, hopefully bartenders, like, that sucks that you're getting that feedback, but hopefully bartenders will start to... I think it's an opportunity, though. I'm not trying to be too negative. Yeah, but yeah, hopefully they'll start to be, like, a bit more holistic about it, where it's just, like, here's your non-alcoholic options, and you have everything from your tea and coffee to, like, a non-alcoholic beer or whatever you want to stock in that same section rather than trying to kind of break it up into your more traditional drinking categories. And just to build, I mean, for anyone who's sort of trying to build a, a drinks brand, whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic, two quick observations. One, I love what Charlie's saying about the big guys. And I think anyone in the Australian booze industry, let's make the most of the fact that what they're doing is building categories and we can then articulate where we sit within those categories. You know, Four Pillars is... The, is one of the more significant players in Australian gin, but we still can't make the weather in gin. If people decide tomorrow they no longer want to drink gin and they want to shift to tequila and margaritas, then we alone cannot cannot move the tide. But what we can do is articulate what Four Pillars stands for within gin. So I think the first thing is that real discipline, let others establish the category and articulate where you sit within it. The interesting challenge is when you're creating a new category. And to me, the, the gold standard here is the work that Aperol have done. A lot of Aperol's success is based on the discipline to talk about a single serve. Versatility can be your enemy. It can be so tempting to say, look at all the thousands of drinks that we can make with this versus say, this is the one. 
because then you can start to work with bars, you can start to work with venues, you can talk about a signature serve. You can trust that great bartenders will then come up with their own creative variations, just like we saw with the Grain Shake competition. But as a brand, really being single-minded, I think, is more important than showcasing uber versatility. Okay. I think we might now get into the rebuttals and dial the invective up again. That was getting really too like Everyone's on the same page. felt like a rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... So for the affirmative, we have Matt delivering the rebuttal. If you want to take it away, You've got a f- five yeah, sure. Look, for that. Um, I, I I loved everything that the the guys said. I thought Kara made some really good points about responsibility. Um, I think the category we're talking about here is an adult category. I think we're talking about people who generally are alcohol consumers who want an option. So for me, I'm I'm not really qualified or interested in talking about non non-alcohol drinking, non-adults. I think those are separate conversations. Um, I do think we need to lean into the fact that very few people have the ability levels to make and craft flavor without alcohol in the way that some people in this room and Charlie and Cara do. So I think we need to cater to them. Um, I think we need to find ways to add value to venues. And I think building premium brands that deal with a non-alcohol consumer's status anxiety, is there something I can order that makes me feel part of the social occasion and has some prestige? We need to give them that. And if we do that, right and we build brands right we will help the venues i think charlie's point on climate change is critical but i think it's universal i don't think we should any of us be settling for being not sustainable not responsible uh we should be trying to lower our carbon footprints of of everything we make and everything we consume i don't think that's exclusive uh to the alcohol free category um and on the, the the cheapness point look it's a fair call and i can't speak for any other producer i know that if we Go to a local bottle shop here. We'll see that Four Pillars Bloody Shiraz Gin is recommended retail $88 and maybe on promo down to about 84 And Four Pillars Bloody Bandwagon is $50 re- recommended retail, maybe on promo down to 45 So effectively, they're the same price, remove the excise. So I think we've got it broadly about right. But yeah, point taken. It's a good point. Okay. And the rebuttal for the negative, Charlie Lemon. Uh, thank you. Um, I think the whole idea of drinking better is uh, being normalised from a corporate point of view. Um, the idea of a mocktail and normalising non-drinking, we, we do that in bars every day. If someone comes in, they don't want to drink, I'm more than happy to facilitate for you anything that you want. Um, again, with that, it doesn't have to be lolly water. I employ really exceptional staff, and I know not everyone can. Like we said before, we're in a tight spot in Australia at the moment with bartenders but mocktails are the bare minimum I think if you're hiring people in a bar you should be able to bang together a pretty good mocktail especially a lemon lime bitters which Australians invented Um, which is a bit of slight to you guys if you're a bartender I'd take offence we can access mostly uh, the products and flavours that um, non-alcoholic sector does as well um, generally at a cheaper price and at a smaller cost to the bar because we uh, get things in at um, smaller rates and, and it's not as, as, as a big industrial production as some big non-alcoholic um, products. Um, there's some unfounded health claims. <laughs> That's what Cara well, wrote. Obviously, there's uh, there's you know some talk around almost wellness in the uh, in the non-alcoholic sector, which a lot of it isn't necessarily, uh, you know, as well researched. It's quite a fledgling category. So I think whether or not we can go out there saying that, like, these drinks are, are, are actively good for you as opposed to just not being bad for you, <laughs> like alcohol is, is probably still sort of uh, getting getting investigated. And just with that, the, um, the choice 
that we have is is very much a privilege, especially when you take into account the price. Um, you know, not many people could afford fifty dollar bottle of uh, water that's been distilled. So that's my point. Okay, thank you for that rebuttal. Kind of a double team actor. Okay. <laughs> We've got some stirring closing statements now to happen and then we'll be done and we'll get your opinion. Has, any, has your mind changed at all? That's going to be interesting to see. Rachel, Neil, please take it away. Okay, I'm going to go over what Matt um, was talking about in the, the opening statement, which is that this conversation is not only about spirits. It's what, we're breaking down what a drink is and what a drink means to people. And that is its flavour, its ritual and its story. And non-alcoholic spirits provide that. And we want to provide our customers with options. And no, we don't want a mocktail. We want quality alcohol alternatives. Cara's worried about marketing to people who may have substance abuse. But as I said, it is a choice. It's the same as someone who wants to buy a pack of cigarettes, even though they've recently overcome an addiction to nicotine. We just need to be mindful of who, or how we market and to whom. Charlie was concerned about climate change. And as Matt said, we're all concerned about climate change. <laughs> Non-alcoholic drinks can be made sustainably like any other drink. And as I touched on before, Non-alcoholic spirits give us the freedom to play with clarity, but it does also offer a new playground. Four Pillars has shown us that there's demand and a future for non-alcoholic drinks by releasing two non-alcoholic gins. And this is very admirable that my team member is now selling two non-alcoholic products. I've just opened an entire store full of non-alcoholic products. So I'm backing that there is a future in non-alcoholic spirits. Yeah, round of applause. Thank you very much. Thank you to the affirmative. Okay, and for the negative, Cara, I mean, you can sit down, you can go, make your point if you like. I reckon I can, I you can do, do it this there? one. Ah, yeah. Take it away. Mr. Speaker, my esteemed <laughs> colleagues, thank you for an excellent uh, combatants there. Now, Mr. Lehman opened our arguments by asking, at what cost? He did it with much more kind of gravitas than me, but I would like to close by reiterating that. Now, my esteemed colleagues on the other team um, have really tried to co-opt the idea of flavor and ritual as being something that belongs to non-alcoholic spirits alone. And I just don't think that that's true. I think that any of us who have sat in a bar and enjoyed uh, a non-alcoholic cocktail without those things have managed to experience all of that. Yes, non-alcoholic options are here to stay, but when it comes to spirits, at what cost? There's an environmental cost. The proliferation of products in this sector puts yet more pressure on strained resources and supply chains. With some consideration, instead of relying on these replicas as a shortcut, venues can employ local and seasonal ingredients, perhaps even manage to close the loop and reduce wastage in your own bars, as well as encouraging creativity among staff because letting them practice on non-alcoholic cocktails rather than when moving into spirits is always a good way to get them started. There's a financial cost. The marketing of many of these products is aimed at a premium price point, putting pressure on bars and retailers to reduce their usual profit margins to keep prices in line with consumer expectations. 
and there's an ethical cost. The lack of regulation around this rapidly growing industry leaves it vulnerable to less scrupulous operators than we obviously have in this room, who can do anything from claiming trumped up health benefits to marketing towards vulnerable people. This is not what we mean by inclusivity. To this team, the costs are too high to justify, and we as an industry should be very careful in scrutinizing this sector as it grows and develops. And a round of applause for the negative. Thank you very much. Now, now I'd encourage you all to pull out your phones again, head to the app, to the, uh, to the QR code, and, and cast your vote here. I'm not sure, how, how does this work from now? How long is it going to take? It'll take as long as it takes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little, um, a little observation, building on something Kara said. We're back to the back and forth. This is what I like. Oh, look, I think, it's, I think, it's, I think it's interesting maybe for, for, for anyone who doesn't know. So if you are an alcohol-producing brand any form of marketing you do, even for your non-alcs, is subject to ABAC, the, the alcohol sort of advertising, sort of self-regulatory body. It's a really interesting question. Who is regulating non-alcoholic brands that have no foot in the alcohol category? Like, yeah. that's a much more of a Wild West territory. Should that be something that's regulated, do you think? I mean, I guess you guys are subject well, to it. So, so, okay, so, so I'll give you, so I'll give you a, a, a very tangible example. There is a distance limit how close a Four Pillars ad can be near a school. And that extends to a Four Pillars bandwagon ad. But as far as I'm aware, there is no distance limit to how far a beer ad could be if it was a non-alcoholic beer ad that was exclusively for a brand that only produced non-alcoholic beer. I'm not sure, but I suspect the ABAC code doesn't currently cover it. That's interesting. Um, How are we going there with the results? Um, Yeah, I think we just got um, one or two questions. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, this is for the uh, against. I find it quite refreshing, Charlie, that you brought up the environment as soon as you just flew over from Sydney. Yeah, for thanks this. for flying me down, Worksmith. I really also miss my flight. I was so what you'd be doing to offset your And I'm going to fly back today. this afternoon. No, no. I'm staying. Um, I'm going to invest money in your city. Thank you for that. Uh, You're welcome. That quite refreshing. Um, thanks, Rob. Uh, I, I'm kind of like split in the middle where I see so much benefit for... Uh, people who can't drink for religious reasons or pregnancy, health, previous addiction, whatever. And I think that while we're kind of hung up on the on-premise, I think the value really is off-premise. Um, but I genuinely, I'd want to know, because I find, like, the, the, I agree with you, but, like, the language for um, non-alcs is so murky um, and so close to kind of the old norm and the traditional alcohol side. But what do you see? Because this isn't going away. If anything, it's going to get bigger. So you just it's, at this point, it's, it's, just, it's acceptance. What do you see or how do you see a benefit of a language change and what would you propose? I think with the language change, it would be the ABAC. So it would come from a regulatory body within governance, government. Um, the other thing I'd really love to see, and on my bullshit fossil fuels and flying down here, um, would be major companies, especially mid-tier ones, I'd say, like Tanqueray is a major company, but Four Pillars, um, Archie Rose, coming together, working with the bars, local bars, taking their excess cutoffs, limes, lemons, fucking oranges, whatever, and developing a product out of that instead of importing or... And, and then working out also a supply chain that it gets to, to, to us without all the, the marketing, without, like, you know, recycled glass. Think about every single step 
that it takes every single step is burning fossil fuels. Now I know I flew down here on a plane, but if you look at that, you know I'm. Will you be person. getting a boat back, Charlie? I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll walk at this point. <laughs> but I think there needs to be an overhaul of our whole industry to look at each and every step while creating. This isn't a brand new, like eight years. This product, these products have been in here, so it's it's not, you know, steeped in history. We can change it, but we need to go from the very start, from start to finish. And how do we change? And how do we limit that? Because, you know, the next ten years are very crude. Like if anyone read the UN report, we're fucked. If we don't start changing now, and I know as individuals we're told this all the time, it's six corporations that run the world. They're the one. But if we if we can start working with mid tier corporations, changing in our local areas, changing in our cities, then we can have a look. And then with the language, then you go and tell the regulator, we're not called a spirit. We're a non alcoholic beverage or whatever. Like we need to come to a consensus with that. Uh, we do have some results in. I'm not sure if everyone can read the screen at the back, so I'll read it out for you. Uh, in in the uh, there was there was a future for non-alcoholic spirits. I believe we started with uh, almost eighty percent agreed with that statement. You know, twenty percent did not. Did today's debate change your stance? No, was this a whopping seventy four point five percent. I don't think you really did that well then. Uh, and to twenty five. To be fair, I didn't change my own mind doing that. <laughs> I also agree. I didn't change my own mind. I think you may have had a harder topic to do there, but yeah. But yes, okay. Well, thank you, everyone. If there's not any more questions, is there any more questions? No? Okay, well, th- oh, there's one up the back here. Thank you. So this is probably for four, but where do you guys see non-alcoholics moving towards? I think when you look at what we're discussing today, it's largely centred around the way the, the culture interacts with non-alcoholics, but are we still trying to just encourage people to drink just with a substitution? Or is there actually a next step for non-alcoholics within Australian culture? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I think it was for you guys, I, yeah. I, okay, I'm going to second pick up the microphone. Um, I'm obsessed with food. Um, and in my world, in my palate, a lot of there's certain food that just tastes better with wine. And as I've grown up, I've started to really discover how much I love Japanese and Korean food with sake. And I've started just to get to the edge of understanding which sake I like and which I don't. I'm not, I don't really know enough. I'd know enough to be dangerous and know more than that. I could absolutely foresee a future where cleverer people than me are making products that are being sold by people like Rachel that don't have alcohol in, but which do enhance your experience of food. I think the harder side of it is alcohol consumption without food, when it really is about fuel for that social occasion and how we build a culture that decouples the idea of socialising and having a great time with mates from the idea of getting pissed. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't entirely think it's a social negative. I think those of us who have a fortunate relationship with alcohol can have a couple of drinks. It lubricates. It means we can have better and more spirited conversations about the climate and we, we walk away, you know, a little bit fueled up going, okay, we're going to change the world. But there are other people who have less fortunate relationships with alcohol and I think we need to help them. So I, I think it's a complex and really good question and I think part of it is about how drink goes with other flavour. And right now we have a culture that says, well, food tastes better with wine and pizza tastes better with beer and you can't have a curry without beer. Could we de-alcoholise that maybe? And the other side is, is the social bit, which is a huge 
cultural question. Very well answered. I can't add too much to that except to say that um, I guess for me as a as a sommelier, I think that most uh, non-alcoholic wines, as in de-alcoholic wines, are rubbish. <laughs> it's a really it's a really tough um, tough thing to try and find some, that something that's delicious that's de-alkalized because a lot of the flavour and character and mouthfeel is is actually stripped out. So I'm super excited about wine alternatives, and yes, they are marketed currently as non-alcoholic wines but I think that that's going there's gonna be a lot of growth um, around that that area um, and I do agree with Matt that I think it's still about social lubrication it's still about occasion and so people are going to make their own minds up um, as to whether they want uh, a non-alcoholic beer specifically um, if they want a de-alcoholized beer or if they want um, something that is a I don't know maybe it's a kombucha and it's, it's, it doesn't it's not meant to replicate alcohol uh, at all but I think yeah the alternatives is going to be a really exciting space is, is there a reason why the beer folks seem to be able to do this a little bit I think better I think because some of it's it's pretty good I mean, Heaps Normal is a is a fantastic yeah. product, and you know, in there is always Heaps Normal in our house now. My wife's the beer drinker, and she generally drinks Heaps because she's got a mental allocation of how many units of alcohol she wants to have in a week, and she yeah. doesn't now need to sort of waste them on beer because Heaps does most of the job. It you know gives you that immediate sort of little adrenaline rush when you hear the spritz of the can open the can's cold the liquid's bubbly it tastes good i think spirits are harder and then dealcoholized and wine substitutes are are harder still so yeah look i think beer is the first category to nail it but maybe that also correlates to beer is the first category that has reached meaningful scale and if we can get to meaningful scale perhaps we can make more stuff locally that's better that does a better job of substituting some of those effects the acid and the tannin that we get from wine that goes with food Maybe it just needs more people applying more seriousness to, to making world-class products in those spaces. And then they might be justifiable rather than <laughs> utterly wasteful and indulgent. Four pillars is justifiable, trust me. But then you have, you, you were saying, you have products like non, right? So it's like a wine alternative, but it's not made from grapes or anything. Well, not. Yeah, if you... If- just in case no one's too sure. Yeah, you've got de-alcoholized wines and um, further to the, the pricing issue as well. So a de-alcoholized wine is made traditionally. So let's say it's, you know, it goes through the fermentation process. It's sitting at about 13%. And then there are a few different methods that you can use. There's a spinning cone method. There's also the evaporative or vacuum method that you can use um, that strips out the alcohol. So there's two processes. And the second process at the moment, the, the technology is actually you know, it's, it's new and it's very expensive. So that's why you're not going to get a non-alcoholic wine that's, you know, that's cheap as such. Then the, the other um, thing that we're looking at is wine alternatives like non, who are absolutely um, the leader in that category. So they are using really high quality, uh, usually organic fruits, spices, botanicals, and nothing that was usually, there's nothing that's fermented. So it's been maceration, there's been infusion, um, there's water for the infusion, um, and yeah, but they're, they're, there's no alcohol that needs to be stripped out because there was never alcohol to begin with. So in my mind, I think that those uh, those products have a lot more purity than uh, yeah than, than some alternatives. And, and is the problem with the stripping out of the alcohol? I'm going to ask you because you're the, the som too. Is is it what, what's it taking away? Is it taking away body? What what's that problem there? Yeah, I think it, it mouthfeel. 
So, I mean, obviously, you know, alcohol, it adds lift, right? Anything that you've got, that whatever product, it adds a bit of lift and it adds a little bit of um, mouthfeel, adds a little bit of heat as well. So that is definitely something that gets that gets stripped out. But um, for sure, I think, you know, there's other little components like the tannin, um, which is mouthfeel as well, that gets stripped out. Um, aroma, I... I don't think I've come across many non-alcoholic wines where I'll smell it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that definitely smells varietal and that's definitely out of Adelaide Hills. I'm like, smells vaguely like a great product. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the, the alternatives are really, really great. Okay, now was that a question down the back or did you want to say hi to Nick Cousins from Non? <laughs> From non, that's great. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I said good things. Um, but the other... I've got ADHD. Does anyone else have that in this industry? I think there's quite quite, quite a few of us. Uh, okay, so the other thing I was going to say in, in um, regard to the price is that, um, as our non-friend was pointing out, uh, there's nowhere to hide. If you don't have alcohol... Um, and you know you've got to play like really really play around with those uh, sort of balances with the with the acidity and your sugar and your tannin and your mouthfeel all those different things like naturally there is nowhere to hide so you really do need to use like, high quality ingredients um, I think you know we're talking about earlier about you know beef eater and whatnot and um, again not that they're bad they're just a little different like it just like the so the costing it, it is different um, so that's it that's it thanks that's it. <laughs> Okay, if we don't have any more questions... Yeah, I'll, um, I'll wrap up. Thank you guys so much. I think that was really interesting and it's probably actually the first time I've seen a debate where people actually knew what they were talking about. I debated as like a teenager and you were given topics like, should maternity leave be universal? And you're like, as a 13-year-old. Uh, anyway, so it was, it was quite nice to uh, see some experts up on the stage uh, and I really appreciate everyone coming. Thank you so much. We love hosting this every year um, and I'll give you some news. We are going to Sydney this year for the first time. So we'll um, be taking this on the road. Uh, so we have drinks, non alcoholic and Alk, if you would like to stick around, we have not need to be out of space till I think 4.35, something like that. So feel free to stay, chill, drink, otherwise. Um, um, otherwise, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you definitely enjoyed that one. And as we said at the start of the podcast, you can find more about Worksmith at worksmith.io. Now, always, we'd love you to share and comment and like and do all those things to make sure this podcast gets heard by more people in the hospitality industry. So we really appreciate you doing that as well. Until next time, stay well, everyone.